Welcome, flower friends, to the Local Flowers Podcast, where you'll fall in love with local seasonal blooms even more by hearing the stories from flower farmers new and experienced. I'm your host, Rochelle, from Freckled Bloom Flower Farm. Welcome. Why, hello, friends, and welcome to this week's Flower Farmer Chat, where I had the opportunity to talk with Alex from Coram Deo Flower Farm in Oklahoma. She's a mom of four, and her and her husband are flower farming together and also sharing their journey on YouTube. So I'm really excited for you to hear our conversation. I hope you enjoy. Why, hello, friends, and welcome back. On this week's Flower Farmer Chat, I've got Alex from Coram Deo Flower Farm, and she's going to correct me if I'm wrong. Welcome, Alex, to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk flowers. Absolutely. It's our favorite topic here at the podcast. So to kick us off on this chat, it's just talking a little bit about your journey to flowers and tell us more about your farm, your family, and all the things. Yeah, so we have so we have a YouTube channel and I always have the same intro, kind of like you do with your podcast. And I do Alex at Cormdale Farm. We are a year two Oklahoma flower farm selling retail market bouquets from our roadside stand. That's my memorized intro and is a great like summary of all that we do. But we're entering into year three, so I'll get to change that intro, which will be fun in January. Entering into year three, just completed year two. I met my husband, and I'll take you like quickly all the way back. I met my husband in Washington, D.C. I was working there in politics, and he was in the Air Force stationed at the Pentagon. We met on eHarmony back when I guess that was more of a thing. We got married really quickly, like within a year of meeting and had our first child. And then the Air Force basically moved us all over the country. And that's where progressively, I think my love for flowers and cut flower gardening grew because at each house, my husband would kind of build me a bigger and bigger growing space. And so at our first house, you know, I grew like one dollar and a couple glads and I just thought I'd arrived. I was just so thrilled and so impressed with myself. And then as we moved, the gardens got bigger and bigger and I gained in knowledge and I really loved it. And then when it became 20 years when my husband's service and he was able to retire, we were finally able to pick where we wanted to live, which was the first time in our marriage. We moved five times in eight years. So nothing was ever permanent. It was like we were building raised beds for all the other future owners of our homes, kind of like Johnny Appleseed. I felt like I would plant all these things and then we would move. So I'd love to see my rose garden, you know, that I planted in Ohio and that kind of stuff. But we picked Oklahoma. We picked Oklahoma primarily because my family was on the West Coast, but I didn't want to move there, but I didn't want them to have to travel so far to see us. And we wanted to start a farm. And so Oklahoma won. And we literally put down root, no pun intended, because we were like, we can finally do something permanent. And so the flower farm was actually my husband's idea. He was combining his desire to own a business and do something entrepreneurial. And the skill set I had gained in growing flowers. And so we combined the two and just launched in 2022. And it has gone better than we expected. We started our YouTube channel like literally from the very beginning so the first breaking ground on our farm is captured to what we're doing now and so that's been a really joyful journey for ourselves even it's almost like home videos where we can go back and look and like almost laugh at ourselves of like oh my gosh can you believe we did that or look at us fumble at laying landscape fabric and you know we feel more polished now but I think that's fun to have in the memory bank and for other people to watch that are starting but we homeschool our four children so during all those moves we had four children and we homeschool them and so they're with us so it really truly feels like a family farm when we say that because one of my boys is chief bucket washer and my daughter can harvest and make bouquets and they help at the roadside stand and so they're very involved and we can get into talk about that of including children on your farm and time management with kids and all of that but we only sell from our roadside stand which is in front of our farm and we sell on average 50 bouquets a week from the stand. I don't know if I left anything off in that quick recap, but that's what we do. Yeah, that's a journey and I love it. And like I said, 
this is where the rabbit holes begin. So get ready, folks. (laughs) Let's jump. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I really, so I found Alex on Facebook. I think it was Facebook. And she was talking about having a rural roadside stand. I was like, can we please talk on the podcast? Because I too live in the middle of nowhere. And so there's challenges that come with that. So I'd love to dive deeper into the topic of your roadside stand. And then also let's talk about the kids. You know, are you selling Monday through the whole week or have you found specific days? And just tell us like what you've learned in these last two years um, from selling from your roadside stand and specifically about being in a rural community and how you attract people all the way out to your farm. I just love to dive deeper into this topic. So we only are open on Saturday mornings and we open at 9am and we typically sell out by 11 or 1130. This is another whole rabbit trail that I feel passionate about, but I attribute our success to marketing and the effort I put into marketing. And so that spins into discussing a rural roadside stand and how to make it successful. So I want to define rural because obviously there can be a huge spectrum. We are about 10 minutes north of our small town. I think our town has maybe 9,000 people. We have a Walmart. We have the Walmart grocery store and one other grocery store and like a very quaint downtown filled with thrift shops. Like it's pretty rural. And then we live 45 minutes outside of Tulsa, which would be considered our big metro region. So you have like Tulsa proper and then all the suburbs that circle around cities typically. So that's our big metro region. And I'm 10 minutes outside of a small town. We, our road, I think is important to talk about. Our road is not two miles of gravel in the middle of nowhere. Our road is paved. Our road is not busy, but I would say every two or three minutes I see a car. You know, we're not like completely dead end middle of nowhere type. So we have decent traffic, but I would make the argument that roadside stands are not typically successful because of random traffic that drives by, but rather the traffic you're driving to your stand through social media and marketing and branding efforts. Now, of course, if you lived and you had like a micro urban flower farm and you had your stand in a very high traffic area and you could get a lot of those impulse buys, almost like a farmer's market setup, Sure, but very, very few, I think probably like single digits have driven by our stand, saw we were open, pulled in and bought flowers. If you're thinking about a rural roadside stand, I believe strongly and I see advice to the contrary and I don't agree with it, that you have to have like a busy main road to be successful because that's simply not the case. But if you don't like social media and you don't like doing marketing and effort and you don't have a busy road, I think you like I'm waving a red flag. I think that it's going to struggle. And I think that's what we see a lot in like the farmers Facebook groups and stuff where it's like I put out eight bouquets. I sold two. I bet you if I asked some questions about social media effort, it would kind of reveal maybe where the problem was. And it wasn't that the flowers weren't pretty or the flowers weren't interesting, but there's some other things that need to be improved upon. That is so good. And there's so many things I want to talk about because this is like, I've had this beef with my husband. He's like, it's all about your location. I'm like, no, it is not. (laughs) You really do like have to get yourself out there. And like you said, and market yourself and whether it's social media, I found I've got to, it's not just the social media, but like when I participated in our 4th of July, prayed I introduced myself to like half the town they didn't know I was there and social media can be challenging too because there's an art and science to it so to when you're posting and like I know a lot of people have like neighborhood watch groups well we have our like Estacada locals group and so I'll post there but then it's so populated now with all the people eating popcorn and listening to the comments post and so I get buried in that some of our guests have talked about about doing ads, which I think is something that I might consider in this upcoming season. But I love that you said that, that it's really about the effort that you put into marketing and then also selling yourself. And just because you're out in the middle of nowhere doesn't mean anything. If you have a superior product and you're doing a great job selling yourself, people are going to want that experience. That's what flowers are. They're a feeling and they're an experience. And so just thank you so much for sharing that. Now we have a lot of problems 
with roadside stands that I hear about is just, you know, what does your neighbors think? Have you experienced the stealing? And anything else that you would like to share advice-wise about how are you accepting payment and just Mm -hmm. anything else you'd like to share? We sell wrapped bouquets. I think I said that in my little canned intro, but we don't sell jar arrangements. We sell we sell wrapped bouquets. They're $20. This is another thing I kind of have an opinion about. And I understand markets can be different. So you need to listen to your customers. But I think less choice is better. I think it creates less decision paralysis from the buyer. We have one option. It makes it easy to pay. It is $20. I feel like $20 is the new $5. Everyone has a $20 bill in their pocket. They don't have $15. They have $20. And it's one choice. So they don't have to stand there and think like and follow this like complicated map of like, am I looking at the $30 jar? Am I looking at the $15 wrap? It's like they I always say I said they're all $20, but they have different personalities. So there'll be some different color palettes or maybe some different flower choices, but it's the same amount of stems or at least the equivalent value depending on what I'm using $20. I think that makes for a super easy and comfortable shopping experience for the customer, especially husbands. I get a lot of work trucks, I get a lot of cattle trucks come through, the husband drops a 20 from his wallet in our cash box, grabs flowers and leaves. And I think if I had three choices for him and a lot of different recipes in the bouquets, I think those husbands would be like, I don't know what she likes. Will she like this? Is this what she wanted? Do I get the bigger one? What was she thinking? And that I think becomes stressful for him. It becomes less likely that he's going to say yes next time to going by and picking her up flowers. It's like he just grabs one that he generally thinks she likes, knows that he can't make a wrong decision because they're all kind of the same. And he's on his way and it's a really smooth experience. So that's always what's available at our stands. The only thing I'm considering changing next year is identifying the flowers that are absolute favorites and offering some straight bunches, but still be the same price point. So like have my mixed bouquet, but then have like a sunflower bunch that's $20 because they love sunflowers or snapdragons really popular. I might do zinnias. I don't, I don't love zinnias. My customers love zinnias, but or like Lizzie's when Lizzie's are like going gangbusters. It's like, let's do some straight bunches. And I think what will happen is I will get some up sales because they'll buy a mixed bouquet. Then they'll see their favorite flower, buy it also and bulk it together to be like a bigger arrangement. So I think it could increase the like multiple purchase rather than they just go for the straight bunch. It's like they want more of their favorite flowers. So they buy two bouquets. But that's what we sell and offer. We have a cash box in our flower stand. It's bolted to the sides. It's not like you can walk away with the cash box. It's bolted down. And then what we do is a little different. What we see our first year we did Venmo and PayPal, the classic QR code thing. And our stand used to be in front of our home. Now it's offset in front of our flower farm. It's a little different setup. And I would kind of like peek through the blinds and I just would see so many customers like struggling with the payment methods. Either their app needed to update or their payment information wasn't saved or they weren't quite sure if they'd chosen the right account. And they would just stand there. And I'm thinking the longer it takes for them to make a purchase, it's eating into their buying experience and it's a frustration. So I talked to my husband who does this with me. He's like 50% at least involved on the farm and he's a tech guy. And I was like, how can we make this better. And so what he found is we had an old iPad, you know, like a billion generations ago that was kind of slow, but it still worked. And we use Square Payments. And there's an app that you can get you have to pay for because you have to pay for all this stuff, but it's not too much money. It's called Kiosk Buddy. And it's basically an app to take Square Payments. And so we do credit cards from our stand. It's a self-serve credit card machine. It has the chip, it has the swipe, and they just touch keypad. And you know, with iPads, you can lock it so they can only access that. And that I think has increased our sales. And I'd say on any given weekend, it's like a 60-40 breakdown. So we'll have a Saturday where it's 60% card, 40% cash. Maybe the next weekend it would flip, but it's clearly a really enjoyable checkout system because it's so similar 
to almost every other credit card buying experience they're going to have at the grocery store, at a small business downtown. Everyone now knows the chip, the swipe. We even are getting used to the iPads. A lot of small businesses are doing like touchscreen checkouts in store. And replicating that at our stand, I think, adds the professionality and has just been so easy. And our customers don't struggle to self-serve at our stand. And so you asked about theft. We sometimes get people that will shortchange us, which is frankly unacceptable in the sense that we offer credit card. There's no like, it's not that you didn't have $20 and you don't use Venmo. It's like you have a credit card in your wallet, you are being shady. So sometimes I've gotten like $9, you know, it's clearly like the cash in their console. But maybe I mean, we sold over a 1000 bouquets this year and single digits were stolen. So I mean, percentage wise, that is nothing to complain about. But I will say, and this is where, again, the marketing, I think, helps me is I suspect I would have more theft if I was open all day long. I think there is an element of honesty when there's a lot of other people buying or I'm out in the field or they see the kids playing and it's the morning. Those people aren't by, but like it's hot out. We're all inside. It's 2 p.m. and there's a flower stand all by itself. I think that invites much more dishonesty. And so by working really hard on our marketing and having a much shorter window that we're open, I think that helps us mitigate some of that loss. And then also, we're just in a really high trust community, which we're blessed with where we are particularly. And I know sometimes that's just the reality that you can't change depending on where you are. So many amazing points there. Thank you for (laughs) sharing all of the above. I wrote down so many notes. I didn't have Venmo. I had no idea what Venmo was. I'm quite old school when it comes to things. I would just do (laughs) cash if I could, but I would do pop-ups and people are like, do you have Apple Pay? Do you have Cash Pay? Do you have this app and this app and this app? I was like, no. I ain't got time for that. (laughs) No, I do not is the answer. (laughs) So I loved your advice about simplifying the process not only for yourself also for tracking for your sanity but also for the customer experience I love that thank you for sharing that point because it is such a good one because I do get that well can I use my credit card type of situation and I usually I've done just cash and Venmo because Venmo has been the most popular like the most asked for so what I've done is that on my website I just have a place where they can check out a garden bunch at the roadside stand and use a debit or credit card there but I love your advice about simplifying the process and then also just looking at our grocery stores and seeing what folks are used to and implementing that at your stand so that is so great thank you for sharing and you have a bigger town than I do so there you go and we only have I think about like 5,000 but very similar you have way more amenities in your community than I do I'm like 45 minutes from a big city but yeah there are these challenges that go with that and so I just love that you've shared your experience another thing is cell phone service so up here where I live I have Verizon because it's the only one that's reliable so like even with the Venmo going to your point of people just getting frustrated or not knowing if they paid or not that is something else to consider is do you have adequate cell phone service for people to use all their apps so I see people talk a lot about oh I'm going cashless which I'm like "Mm." there's still a generation that uses cash and as a business owner that $50 that I get stays $50 versus all of these processing fees that get taken out. So let's talk about processing fees because I don't know about you, but I become very resentful because I feel like people are like, oh, $20, that's too much. But then it's like, oh, I want to use Venmo. Oh, I want to use my credit card. I'm like, well, there goes 4%. And as it is, I feel like that $20, I should be charging you more. So can we talk just a little bit about about this topic for a moment in your experience? 
Yeah. So again, when I asked my husband, and I'm thankful for this, he did all of his number research on the different fee structures for like a PayPal, a Venmo, a Cash App, all that stuff. And he had told me, he didn't give me specific numbers, but he had told me, he's like, I suggest we go with Square because of their fee breakdown. And then because the volume we're selling at, we can more easily absorb the Square like monthly fee. So like they take, I want to say they take like 2.8 maybe 2.9 from each payment. And then we have a monthly fee, I think of like $50. But because of our volume, it's like, okay, that's like two and a half bouquets. Feel pretty good about that. I mean, if I was selling like eight bouquets a weekend, that would be really hard. I would almost consider only doing cash and just training my customers and do the $20 price point so that your ask of them is very simple. You're not asking them to bring change all the time. It's like $20, but we're doing cash. There's a way you can incentivize them that way and not have to do the fees or like where we're at, where our volume kind of helps us absorb it a bit. We have been considering though, if we don't do the iPad and I do kind of like an analysis with my time, it might almost be worth it for me or some of my older kids to staff stand during our open two hours hours or so and do the swipe card because the swipe card, you don't have the monthly fee, you just have the processing fee, you know, and so that's some money saved, we'll have to do a time assessment because having a self serve stand also can be really helpful. The fees are a bummer. And I would say if you have a stand, and it's you're not selling a ton yet, I don't think it's that crazy to just do cash. I really don't. I don't I think your customers would understand, especially because more of us are becoming more attuned to shopping local and supporting small businesses. I think they're going to understand the talking point of like, we're trying to be profitable, we're trying to reduce expenditures, we're trying to grow and expand and offer more and to do that, you know, we need to budget accordingly. I think people will be sensitive to that. I really don't think you're going to lose a ton of people because again, you're driving traffic to your stand through marketing, not through randoms. And so if you if you are a drumbeat repeater with your customers about being cash only, I, I really do think that that could work out. And again, most people have a $20 bill in their wallet or can easily get it, you know, from the ATM or whatever. Well, and I think education, especially like, you know, I watched your latest YouTube video, which we got to oh, talk about YouTube, but just about in the, the down season of doing some more education on some of these points that, you know, are sensitive to you. And I've seen these posts like come up in my feed about the $20 I receive from you goes to my local hardware store. It goes to my dance teacher to pay my daughter's dance. It stays yes. in the community. So doing more just education around that $20 stays a $20 and it goes to your community versus the $20 that gets the 3% taken out, the 3% taken. So eventually it is degraded. And so, you know, just in the off season, having these conversations and the more that we have these conversations, going to your point, people are going to want to support local more. And as we go into, say, the shopping season for the holidays, this is a good time to just start having that conversation. I want to talk about your YouTube channel, but as you're wrapping up your season, are you doing any marketing for the Christmas season? Do you offer like gift certificates or anything like that for your roadside stand? Or how are you going to kind of leverage the major holiday shopping season to bring in more customers? So that's the tricky thing because this is where it I'm jointly doing this with my husband and I'm not boss, if you will. And so I tend to be like the let's move fast person. Like, let's just grow, 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 build, 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 do it all. Let's go. And he's much more slow and methodical. And so I wanted to do CSAs and launch our CSAs and that be kind of like the cash flow in the October, November, December season. But we talked about it, the pros and cons, and he has requested that we get one more year under our belt 
and then add the CSA. What we're going to do is we're just going to open another day of the week for the stand to be open. So we'll still have like, we'll increase our sales days. It'll just be again through like the roadside stand option rather than like a set pickup so to speak. The reason we're thinking about that is just log just logistical considerations on how to manage a CSA pickup and all of that stuff. He wants one more year. He doesn't he doesn't live in flower world like I do where the idea of a subscription is just like this is just what you do. This is the next step. He's more like, "What is this? I'm not sure. Let's move a little slower." So I'm deferring to him on that. So unfortunately, my advice would be like if you're ready for it, this is a great time to be promoting your CSA it's like you're coming off the end of the season. Everyone's loved your product. They're sad to see you go. You can do the easy pivot to be like, well, let's plan for next year. Like lock in now for your spring bouquets and then you can get that cash infusion and all of that. So I think like this is the time to start rolling out your CSAs. Don't give it a big gap between your last sale day and like wait until December because that's kind of two months for the algorithm to forget about you and people in their buying habits and stuff. Certainly in December, no one's thinking about fresh flowers, but it can kind of still be on their mind now if you haven't got and like a super hard frost or snow on the ground, you can use that momentum. So that would be my advice, even though I'm not taking my own advice yet, not until 2024. But that's about it. I mean, this kind of does go into the YouTube of like during our off season, we're able to actually create more YouTube content because of our free time. And so our hope is to be putting out some really helpful videos and we're monetized on YouTube. It's not, you know, like the big monetization, but it does kind of help. And honestly, I, I feel strongly in a break too and not the burnout that I think can happen when you try to press all the way through Christmas and you end up with basically only getting January off. I'm not, that's not what I'm interested in, especially because I homeschool for children. You know, I kind of have more firm breaks in our business model and not like, can I juice the lemon as much as possible? It is an excellent point. And I just had this conversation with Kelsey at Kettle and Cut is just about, you do need to find some downtime. And it may mean that you're cutting certain things out and that is okay. If you're a small operation versus a big, huge farm that has multiple employees, if you're just doing this yourself or with your partner, you have to find that time to just take a break and let it stop for a moment so you can recharge your batteries. I'm I'm there right now. So one, I want to talk about like, what is it like to work with your husband? And you kind of started to talk a little bit about that. And then I've got some more questions for you. But let's talk about that a little bit. What, what is it like to work with your husband? Pros and cons and... Do you still love each other at the end of the day? <laughs> I really like him. So I have no complaints about him. I think we're a good team because without being cliche, I think our skill sets are different. And so we're both necessary for the success of the farm. I don't find us butting heads too much because we both trust each other's assessment on a given decision because of our skill set. So for example, we spent all of Saturday glamorously trenching a new water line to the high tunnel we're building this October. I don't know anything about irrigation. And so therefore, I'm not going to be a pill and give him all my opinions of how I think he should be doing this project. Because he knows the irrigation, the tools, the parts, all of that, the PSIs, the blah, blah, blahs. I just bring lemonade and joyfully thank him and get really excited to plant out a tunnel and not, you know, try to encroach on his territory, if you will. And in the same way, while he appreciates flowers, and he's starting to learn the names, he doesn't really get his opinion involved too much when like I crop plan, for example, like I'll kind of create the plan and walk him through it and be like, do you see anything that sounds off? Or do you really disagree maybe with like quantities I've chosen to grow? Because he sees what sells and what customers say. So I value maybe his like observation. And he'll say like, I think we need more sunflowers. Or I didn't really like that color. 
maybe he'll say that. Um, he almost doesn't even care about that. And that's kind of like my zone. It's like I do the crop planning and he does the irrigation. He does all the field stuff. So he is compost man and tilling and landscape fabric and irrigation and, and netting. And he built our flower processing area that I call our flower cottage because it sounds cuter than a processing barn. So he does like all of that kind of stuff. He does all of our tech stuff. He does our accounting. And I do all of the planting and the growing and the harvesting and the bouquet making. And so we just kind of have these like parallel lanes. And I think that's made it really joyful instead of combative. I think if everyone has opinions on everything, you're kind of just like angry spaghetti crossing over each other all the time. And that doesn't sound like the wisest course. And so that might even mean that like you, whoever you are in the equation needs to maybe be less opinionated or maybe more trusting or just say like, I'm not going to oversee that. I'm going to let it go to avoid arguments because it's always opinions that lead to, to arguments and wanting to have control. And I think sometimes you're just letting it go. Um, and even by letting it go, you're kind of like letting go of the responsibility for it because it's just like, okay, well, if the water line breaks, it's not my fault. I don't need to tell him it's his fault, but he'll take responsibility. He'll fix it and we'll move on. And it doesn't, you know, I don't need to micromanage him because I'm worried maybe that he's not quite doing it right or something like that. So my husband still has a full-time job and we have so much going on that when he does help me, I'm thankful, but it's all riding on my shoulders. So I'm so jealous that you have a very <laughs> engaged partner. But I yeah. feel like when you're at the point of overwhelm, you just kind of like are like, oh, oh, well, let it go. I feel I used yes. to be as a younger self, a version of myself, I would be so stressed out about the control piece of it. But children and flower farming have taught me to let go. <laughs> Just roll with the punches. So Alex, I love that advice. How are you doing this in homeschooling and all of the things like I can't yeah. COVID was enough. And I was like, when as the schools were opening up I'm like when when can I please send them back so how do you do that so my kids ages are nine seven five three we got that perfect little spread there so that would be three grades I homeschool and then like the preschooler the three-year-old but he's on I count him because I have to keep him occupied so that when I'm distracted he's not decorating the walls with sharpie marker or something so I really have to keep track of all four of them even though I'm only teaching three grades grades right now. And we had to go into this with a mindset. It didn't come naturally is we had to decide if we're going to do this flower farming thing. And that's not my full time job. I am a full time wife and mother with this as part time, the kids need to be involved with it. Or at the very least, we have to become very tolerant of them just being around versus trying to find ways to keep them away so we can get things done. Because I think that's the fastest way to exasperate your children and have them become like bitter or resentful at what you're doing if they're not allowed to be around or it's don't touch that. Don't go there. Don't touch that plant. You can't pick this up. No, you're not. You can't do that. That's not going to engender any sort of behavior environmentally that's enjoyable. And so our attitude with our kids is not how can I get away, but rather how can I functionally have you around? And so that doesn't mean they're always helping me because that sometimes it's like I need to do this because I have one hour. So this is not a you help me cut sunflowers time. This is I need to do it. But they can be in the rows with me telling me a story about dragon. They, you know, can have a coloring book and a chair. They, you know, they can be running up and down the rows. So they're around. But then I do try to cultivate times where it's like, okay, I'm going to sacrifice efficiency and be like, yes, three-year-old who absolutely loves to strip snapdragon leaves. I will cut the stem and you can run your hand along the leaves and take them off. And I'm going to cut like one a minute. And this is just what we're going to do for 15 minutes, you will be satisfied. And then you'll go play, you know, and not be all over me and I can finish the rest of the task. So I just try to problem solve rather than be like frustrated with them. But you know, obviously, we all have our days where you're like, just please let me get this done. Because they haven't become they don't look at the farm as a frustration or something they're not involved in their attitudes tend to be very positive and not 
sassy. <laughs> well, I just think it's such a huge learning experience. I don't think we value like the actual physical work of, like you said, stripping that STEM. You know, we think that we have to have them enrolled in algebra and advanced AP, whatever it may be. But there's so yeah. much these kids are gaining from just being in that environment. The little things of look at some of our greatest entrepreneurs like Steve Jobs. You know, he struggled in school, but just having that entrepreneurial spirit and the the skills to work really hard. And if you have a dream, if you're willing to invest everything that you've got in yourself to it, you can be very successful. And it's just little moments like that that really shape a child. And so I just think it's so amazing that you have that perspective. And I hope that people, you know, because sometimes this can be very overwhelming, like how do do I juggle it all but to really have that mindset of involving them it may not be as efficient at times but you're also wearing that other hat that you have as a mom and a wife of just doing that job at the same time as flower farm and I just think of my daughter for example you know she's always right there beside me and willing to help me but I mean is she in love with the flower stuff probably not as much as myself but she loves to cook and bake and so I fully embrace that where I was like really failing in that area because I harvest and do a lot of stuff in the evening and I gave her the tools to the kitchen and said go cook us dinner and she's learned so much and she's done it by herself I've not been there to micromanage her that's and, awesome you know I of course I'm concerned about her safety but at the same time like I feel like giving her that freedom has allowed her to gain so much experience and tools for her life and I'm excited to see how she blossoms and what she loves and so even if it's just not flower farming specific tasks that we can involve our kids in if there's something else to help you around the house to really get them inspired about I say go for it it helps you too and there's nothing wrong with incentivizing children I mean obviously I don't agree with like you know you get a candy and a cookie and a dollar for every task you do because like sometimes you just need to do it because you live in this home but like my son gets paid for bucket washing and there you know my daughter gets paid when she helps me like on big tasks like we're gonna harvest eight buckets and she's gonna help me and she gets paid for that and so it gives them ownership it gives them excitement it gives them an incentive and I think that that's that's right and proper because I'm getting paid. My husband's getting paid from the farm. And so I think that that's a good lesson for them. A way, even if that's the incentive you need to to get started too. For sure. And I think just the conversation around money, you know, a sales day and I bring them with me to a pop-up and they see how many flowers we've sold. And then to go back, you know, if I do t go to the grocery store and they see how much the grocery store list is and what it costs. So I think there's a lot that they're absorbing in that experience around just what it takes to earn a dollar versus what it takes to spend a dollar and how that math comes together. Like it can yeah. be a, li a little depressing sometimes. So <laughs> they're sitting there and they're watching and we may not think about it all the time, but it's a really great learning opportunity that I've at least started to become more aware of as my kids are getting older. So diving deep into just being a mom and a flower farmer in itself could be like a two hour episode about <laughs> and there's no right or wrong way to do it. Everybody's different, just like our flower farming experience. And so with that said, you had mentioned you've got a high tunnel. And as you're wrapping up the season, what have you learn the most and as you're going into planning for next season what does your farm plan look like and let's talk about that high tunnel and how you're going to use it so this is where it's interesting too because before we push record we had mentioned just like how it's interesting to talk to different farms that grow in different environments and do very different things and I think I have a little bit of a different growing model than maybe is what a lot of new growers are doing and one of those things is I grow barely any filler and I grow in Oklahoma which I joke is kind of like biblical Egypt we have grasshoppers that are four inches long we have tornadoes we were in our tornado shelter in July this season it is very 
hard. It's very harsh. And I don't want to say that flower farming is never hard anywhere. But like, when I look at what's possible in Michigan, it's not possible for me. And so I wasn't able to kind of take your very standard, you want to become a flower farmer template and the grow list and the varieties and stuff and just do that because many of them are not possible or they are, but they don't become profitable because you have to work so hard on them. And so my grow list tends to look very different than different environments around the country. And then also because I only sell retail and I don't sell to florists, that is going to affect the choices I'm making for my business. And like the big one that I know is shocking. And of course, I'm a little jealous about the reality, but we don't grow dahlias. I will never grow dahlias. There are people in Oklahoma that try and more power to you, but I don't see a way for them to be profitable for what they really cost and the labor. My dahlias in Oklahoma are never, ever, ever going to look like an Oregon dahlia. No matter how much I water them and baby them, that is just our climate is not going to their the heat, the bug pressure, the humidity. I mean, when I say heat, I mean, like July and August, we don't get below 98. I mean, it's like 105s typically. And again, those grasshoppers that are just things and nightmares. That's not on my list (laughs) of things to grow. Also, cool flowers can be really tricky because we don't have much of a spring. We have like the last week of March, two weeks, three weeks in April, and then like we're off to the races in summer. Like we are hitting 80s. Like I say summer to be 80s because that's when some of these cool flowers start to go dormant. It's like the end of April, we are in the 80s. Like, you know, it is going to be summer. May can hit 90s. And so it becomes very tricky with the timing of planting. Like we can't really here in Oklahoma do a lot of what you would call early spring planting. There's a couple things we can, but often it's just not enough time for them to get rooted in and grow. So like, stock, for example, that's something that like most growers would do like an early spring planting like a February or a March It's not enough time your stock is going to be three inches tall, and that's it and it's stunted and it's over. So almost all of the spring flowers are planted like November here. And I know you can overwinter, so many people overwinter spring flowers. I know that's not novel, but that's kind of like our only shot. Like we don't typically get a second round. Like I plant status and lizzies in March. So that would be kind of considered a spring, but they bloom in the summer. So it's not even really a a spring flower. But all that to say is our tunnel is going to have ranunculus, anemones, and snapdragons is going to go in. It's a hundred foot high tunnel. So it's gonna be a lot of them. But those three flowers, and then I grow I my list is so short, I can just tell you everything I grow. And then in the field, it'll be tulips, larkspur, bupleurum, status, lizzies, zinnias, marigolds, sunflowers. And that's what we grow. I mean, there's sometimes I'll put basil in and that would be or a celosia and that would be what I would consider filler. But the rest are Maybe not like a, maybe I wouldn't call a marigold like a full on focal flower, but it's still a bloom. Like it's not a, it's not a Dara or, you know, like a more greenery, like a Cosmo, Cosmo has a bloom, but you know, you're using it for it's like airy greenery. We don't grow a lot of it. The biggest reason is for a retail bouquet, my customers, what my customers want from me is they want the most flowers for the most affordable amount. And so it is, I will increase my sales maybe not win any design awards from event florists, but I will sell more bouquets if I can fit as many objective blooms, like actual flowering stems in a $20 bouquet than if I did five flowers and four filler. If I did eight flowers, they're going to buy that one every single day of the week. And so my farm, we, Eric jokes that we're like the steak and potatoes farm. We, he says, you don't grow any fluff. And I understand in like event work and floristry, like the fluff is what makes it art and it's just beautiful. Most people that are paying $20 for a retail bouquet are coming home and putting it in a mason jar 
And that's the extent of their design work. And so they just want flowers. They just want to look at flowers. They're not looking for a spike and a filler and a folk. It's just not how they think. And so my thought was, well, I could copy what I see florists doing or just in the flower farming world, what I aesthetically think a bouquet or an arrangement should look like. Or I could just give my customers what they're asking for and they'll buy more of my product. And that that's hard to do because like you look at your colleagues, so to speak, in the Instagrams and you're like, I don't grow that. I don't grow that. My joke with my friend who lives 30, 40 minutes away and sells to florists, we joke that we barely grow the same things because it's like not growing that. Campanula, stock, Dara, Amy. No, it, like it's a it's a no because that's just not what my customers are asking for. And I think that maybe takes a little bit of like humility to accept like, am I doing this to be profitable? Or am I doing this to have like Alex's cutting garden? And if that's the case, maybe that's not maybe just have a large cutting garden and don't do the sales route if you don't want to grow what the people who have the money are asking of you. So that's my grow list. It's super short. It's so good because like you said, we can get caught in this tornado of Instagram of comparing ourselves to each other as flower farmers, like you said. And I can get like so frustrated with like, oh, that blue plurum, let's just use that as an example, cost $2 a stem according to X, Y, and Z Instagram account. And I put that in a market bouquet so they should pay $20 for that bouquet of blue perm. But like you said, the customers have no idea. They're not in this Instagram flower farming tornado that we are. And it's so good to step outside of it and actually like engage with your own community because they are, like you said, to the point of, you know, providing more actual blooms because that's what they're thinking about. They're thinking about flowers. They're not thinking about blue plurum. They're not thinking about the greens. They're not coming to you for the greens they want the flowers so like you can get just stuck in that tornado of flower farming content and what I should do and what I shouldn't do I think dahlias is a great example of that almost everyone probably listening grows dahlias and they you know have aspirations to sell dahlia tubers and they have hundreds in rows and that's what they sell in August and September and stuff and it's like if I view dahlias as like a benchmark of legitimacy for a flower farm and if I don't grow them it's somehow like I'm not as legit, then I'm just going to be really frustrated and wasting a lot of money. And I did some trials, not just to assume, but to guess. And I did some tests of my customers. I grew probably 30 dahlias in my personal cutting garden, which I treat very differently. It was doing okay. So I had some stems. So I cut some and I made some bouquets that had dahlias in them and others didn't to observe their buying habits. I know this is going to make all of our flower farming hearts faint a little bit my customers could care less all the sunflower bouquets sold and not all the dahlia ones did if my customers were to look at a dahlia they are not going to tell you that's worth four dollars they're like you want me to pay that and it's going to last less than the sunflower I want the sunflower and like for us we understand there's more than just vase life and there's reasons we love dahlias and there are communities that appreciate it and will have that perceived value to sell them But where I'm at, it's not it. So again, why would I grow it? And I had to just let go of it. I was like, I'll put some dahlias in my cutting garden and enjoy them for myself. And I'll let go of that like, well, I have to grow dahlias to be a flower farmer mindset and just accept that like, I'm the sunflower girl and I'm going to make a lot of money growing sunflowers and that's okay. It's so true though. Like that's the thing is if you don't have that perceived value in your community, cut it from your grow list and move on. Plus, if you're dealing with a lot of pests, dahlias, like I'm sorry, but not worth it. Uh, I'm not bagging flowers. I'm not bagging flowers. I don't got time for that. It's not happening. Yeah, let's talk about that $20 bouquet. If you're spending so much time on that one flower, I mean, you've lost all your $20 just on that Dahlian, like you said, if your customers aren't willing to pay the, you know, $40 for the bouquet that the dahlias are actually worth, then it's time to cut it and go to something that's going to give you longevity. And I have dahlias, but I'm not 
a huge dahlia farm because number one, I've become such a flower snob and my customers, unfortunately, I'm training them to be flower snobs. They're like, this only lasted two to three days. I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. But you guys, it's a dahlia. (laughs) And like you have to educate. And another thing is our time. If you're having to educate your customers over and over and over again that this dahlia is going to last two to three days, you're wasting your time. Your time is worth something. Whereas if that sunflower that you pick at the prime condition can last like a week plus, they're going to be more impressed by that than they are the thing that is pretty, but it only lasts two days. And then I feel like I failed because, you know, their flowers that they spent good money on just died. So like what we're talking about of just making wise choices with your time and stuff. Like one thing I didn't mention that I think is probably pretty major, I should have mentioned, we are closed all of August. And I mean, for some people, they're like, Oh my gosh, how could you but our assessment in Oklahoma is that it's over 98 degrees for 31 days, the grasshoppers will consume you alive. And it just awful. And the buying habits of my customers were decreasing because like I could probably sell the first eight, nine days of August and then school is starting. So every parent that sends their kids to school, that whole week up to school is chaos of the supply list and the getting ready. Then your kids go to school. And then even though I homeschool, I know that kids coming back to school after summer vacation, you have like two weeks of adjustment where it's just chaos in your family getting used to your new schedule. So no one's doing like luxury discretionary spending purchases on a Saturday morning when they've just got kid post-school drama to deal with and then it's like the end of August and we're still not yet in a routine and then we have Labor Day weekend and so it's like why am I working the absolute hardest of the year to sell the least amount of money like is it worth my time and frustration to sell you know four thousand dollars or something or would it be better to work harder in the spring to make up for that 4000 in sales and just close. And like we close, we went on vacation with the kids. We can't do that in the spring and fall and summer. So we took the kids on vacation. We started our own homeschool year. So like protecting them, I was able to completely focus on launching them with our homeschool year and not multitasking the farm. And I was like, this is just what we're going to do. Every other flower farmer, you know, on Instagram is ramping up their Dahlia sales and their farmers might and stuff and I had to just be like it's not worth again juicing the lemon in the hardest possible conditions and when burnout tends to set in it's like let's close and then be reinvigorated for like six seven more weeks in fall and push really hard and that's when all of the fall planting is starting and the seed starting and the all of that why be doing that on fumes rather than like you gave yourself a break and so I think even though we lost money quote unquote in sales we will make that up because of what the break gave us and again that's kind of like a break the rule decision but I just think it was the right way to go and we're going to do it again next year it's just going to be our built-in plan. I think it's the right decision because I mean I've been at this for three years and every August just seems so depressing and to your point you know know your community and I was like beating myself up why am I not selling anything but it's the fact that all the things that you just said is people are busy they're on vacation they're trying to shove so much stuff in and it's like you said why waste your time I mean even if like I were to put some flowers up my roadside stand just to say you know a couple a handful of bunches leave it at that but not like just be pushing so hard because it's just know your target audience know your community and adjust accordingly and like you said avoid the burnout And you learn this by your experience. Like with my CSA, I'm wrapping it up at the end of July. I'm going to take all of August off like you. Like I've got so much going on in my life then. And, you know, maybe I can plan a special event in August. Something that is ticketed, that's guaranteed. But (laughs) this whole hoping that people come, the years have shown that they're too busy. So I think that's great advice. I am a visual learner in that like I can read all the things, research and read all the flower farming books, but sometimes you just want to see like I want to visually watch someone burn holes in landscape fabric. 
I want to see what their drip lines look like. I just want to see a process. And that is exactly what my husband and I are trying to do with our YouTube channel. Not be super technical how to, but be very visual in bringing people along on the buildup from a flower farm and a lot of content, which is always helpful to learn from the pros and the veterans that are, you know, year seven, eight, but like we were talking about, you look at their farms and it be can become overwhelming to picture yourself at that level. When I look at a farm that has seven high tunnels and seven full-time employees, there's no relatability. Like I can't get my head around how to replicate what they're doing because I'm so far from that level. But we're year two going into year three and we filmed the entire process. If you start in the beginning of our catalog and work forward, you can incrementally come along as we expand and grow and share what we're learning in a way that I feel like is more relatable or maybe like replicatable would be the better word too. And we, my husband spends a lot of time editing. So we try to make it entertaining and, you know, good videography and music and stuff and just be like a fun follow along. But then we also talk about like the business side of things and the marketing side of things that sometimes get dropped. Like at this point, you probably can Google the spacing to plant Lysianthus. Like I don't need to make a YouTube video about that. But we made a YouTube video where I sat down for an hour and I talked about our roadside stand and gave tips and pitfalls and pros and cons. And it's like, there's not as much of that content out there. And so that's the gap we're trying to fill is like, maybe break the mold a little bit and talk about things that I don't see talked about as much when everyone's so hyper focused on like growing technicalities. Let's talk more about other aspects that make all businesses successful so that you can actually be one of those farms that say you're profitable and not just like a slow drip money loss hobby because that just leads to burnout and frustration and just feeling like you were defeated. It's like, let's talk about how to be profitable small farms. Not every farm needs to have year long employees and 16 high tunnels. It's like you can be profitable. Like we were profitable this year and we're year two and our profit margin is going to increase even more next year. And like, let's talk about that like how to do that with just a husband wife and not employees and not 22 acres and so that's what we're trying to do on our youtube channel is kind of fill that that conversation gap in the flower farming world and i applaud you for that because that's how i started my journey was the the college of youtube and i love that you said like create content that's relatable that's why i created this podcast is i would be out in my field and i'd be listening in i'm like but that's not me and i wanted yeah. to start sharing the stories of people like myself. Thank you for saying that. There's a place for the big farms and they're spectacular and I admire them. But at the same time, there's still room for a lot of people that just want to be a husband and wife team or a one woman show like myself. There's still a place for us. And so having that content out there that you can relate to. And like you said, the growing piece, like I do not follow the rules. I so skate in and out of the lines. Like I I don't care about the spacing on the Lysianthus or how to net them. Like I want to do yeah. my own thing. But to be able to go with you on that experience and also I love re-watching or re-listening to episodes of people in the beginning of their journey because yes. it's so humbling and it's so relatable. And even going back and re-listening and re-watching it gets your brain going. And so I love that you guys are focusing on that love of content because I think there's a lot of us out there that can relate to it and would love to see it. So thank you for putting it out there. And it's a lot of work. So. Yes, it is. So watch, please. <laughs> yeah. People do all the things like subscribe, blah, 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 That's blah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so friend, as we wrap up, I got to ask you the question, what's your favorite flower and which ones would you fire? I think dahlias might be on that fired list. Yeah, I don't even know if I ever like hired them to begin with. But I would say sunflowers are my favorite because they make me the most money. But my objectively favorite flower to grow is Lysianthus because I just love how unique it is and beautiful. And it, it checks all the boxes. Usually the beautiful flowers only last a hot second, but that one sticks around and 
So the money maker and the just like showstopper, I guess, would be my two favorite. The fired ones, honestly, like I said, with steak and potatoes, it's like if you're not a long lasting focal, you're probably just not going to be on my farm. Like Boo Plurum and Snapdragons maybe are as close as I get to some of that filler. I love the meat and potatoes. I think that's great advice because uh, like we talked about earlier, you can get lost in what you should quote unquote grow but maybe that's not what your customers actually want and to your point about the sunflowers and lisianthus I agree long lasting flowers are I mean people want them to last and Mm -hmm. we need to turn this conversation back around to local flowers actually last they go from farm to vase you're going to get the longest vase life and continue to have that conversation because I'll get that all the time about people like will they last more than a day I'm like Yes. yes. They did not yes. go in a boat, an airplane, blah, blah, blah. They They're not already seven days old when you buy them. <laughs> yeah. So with that said, what would be your favorite variety of sunflower lisianthus? We stick with the classic yellow family pro cut series. So we do like the orange DMR, the orange Excel, Horizon. I, I can only grow the whites, the white night and white light in May and early June because of our bug pressure. But that works with the softer color palette of spring. So we'll do some early whites. And then we just go with the bulk classic yellows. My customers like we don't do a lot of the doubles or the the frilly colors and stuff from the quality standpoint, you know, the weak necks and some of the drama they have. So we just go with like the tried and true and just give them perfect sunflowers. Have you ever seen sunflowers at a grocery store? They're like the saddest things you've ever seen. So if you can just nail a classic yellow sunflower, your customers are already going to be impressed. And the awesome part about sunflowers is we harvest them, you know, as they're just starting to crack open. So like the bug pressure, you know, there isn't that opportunity and there is no organza bagging sunflowers. No, no. I'll just plant 20% more to make up for loss. Like I don't got time for that. Now I got a quick question. Do you have deer and do they stay out of your sunflowers and what's your strategy? So the deer are round, but we are blessed. So we're in Oklahoma. So everything's a cattle ranch. So we're surrounded by like a hundred acre cattle ranch with like 75 head of cattle. It's kind of like our house floats in the middle. And then there's tree lines off in the distance. And so the deer are around, but they have to come out really far and really exposed to get to us. And so as of yet, it's too much of an ask for them and they prefer to stay more protected. So I kind of wave to them from afar, but they haven't bothered us yet, thankfully. You are so lucky. (laughs) Yes. That's awesome. I know the Northwest, I can't imagine. Yeah, no. (laughs) My arch nemesis, the deer. I love them, but at the same time, they love me. And I've just learned, don't plant it if they eat it. (laughs) So yeah. And luckily, they left the sunflowers alone. I've not had them eat them. Now, I think I focus more heavily in the summer, which they're not as active as like right now. Mm. Oh, I would never plant a sunflower out here right now because it's like buffet time for them. Friend, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been so great. And I feel we need to do a take two and invite your husband. Winter, let's definitely do that but as we wrap up is there any advice you'd like to share with our audience or anybody that's inspired you that you'd like to give a shout out to and how can folks find you to watch you on youtube and follow you for inspiration so my two big pieces of advice would be at a maximum focus on growing 60 to 70 percent of your effort and put the rest of it into marketing and branding and social media because flowers don't actually sell themselves and so don't get so hyper spun around the deep niche technicalities of growing. I think if you created B grade flowers with A plus marketing, you are going to be more profitable than if you had C marketing and the most beautiful flowers known to man. So I think we need to change our time distribution a bit more and spend more time as growers marketing our product and selling our product than just 
growing. So that would be one. And then the other one I would say is like, don't feel like you have to carbon copy what you see on Instagram. Grow for your environment and grow for your customers. And don't think that that makes you somehow less of a legitimate flower farmer because your grow list looks very different than maybe what you see displayed on bigger accounts on Instagram because their reality might be completely different than yours. And you can't just think you can replicate it and it go exactly the same way it did for them. So kind of like disentangle yourself, allow yourself to be different and not just cut and paste for your farm. And you can find us. So we are on Facebook and Instagram at Coram Deo Flowers. Coram Deo is Latin. I didn't even tell you what it meant. Coram Deo is Latin. It means before the face of God. And it's a theological concept to mean that we are doing all things in his presence and for his glory. And that just really is a theme for our life and how we treat our farm, our growing practices, and how we feel about God's creation. And so that's the name of our farm. So that's why it's kind of hard to spell. And so sometimes I have to spell it out for people. But on YouTube, you can find us at Coram Deo Flower Farm. And we would love to have you watch. We do monthly lives where you can submit questions and we just chat almost all the things that you don't hear talked about on a lot of on a lot of platforms. And so I think it's really fun. And I'm really enjoying doing it and talking to a lot of new growers and maybe trying to be influential in a way that I kind of fell into those traps of the carbon copy. And so talking about how to be different. I love it. And I just encourage everybody to follow you guys and participate. Uh, I love those lives, even if I'm re-watching it after it's happened, especially when I'm making bouquets or seeding flowers. Like I, you can't eat the grass is another favorite account of mine and fully support her talking for hours because it helps pass the time when I'm working. So, well, Alex, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And we so appreciate you sharing your experience and your story. Thank you. Boy, did I love that conversation. It just hit all the points with me. Thank you so much, Alex, for just being fully transparent and open about your experience and all the great advice that you shared. I think this is a perfect example of your journey is your own, your community is unique to you, and you've got to make what works for you, your family, your flower farm, and all the things in between. And we all can have unique and different experiences and fully embrace that. I loved how Alex said, allow yourself to be different. Don't just cut and paste what you're seeing on Instagram. So I hope that sticks with you and just fully embrace why you're here flower farming and what makes you unique and what do your customers love about you and embrace that and sing it from the rooftops. Thank you again, Alex and everybody who's been on this podcast. I fully enjoyed just recording these conversations, having these conversations, sharing them with you. And I just am so excited for all the interviews I have planned and those that are to be planned. Each story is different. And I think that's what makes this podcast amazing and unique in itself is that not one conversation is the same. We all have different experiences and offering each other something even if it's just a tiny bit of advice or something that you can listen to and feel a little less alone i appreciate each and every one of you and do us a favor share this podcast with one of your flower farmer friends or somebody that loves flowers or whoever it may be but give us a share and let's continue to spread the word about how amazing local flower farmers are and hey if you want to support the podcast. All the information is in the show notes and I appreciate any type of donation. It helps me put this platform out there. It says you value my time and I just appreciate each and every one of you. So thank you and take care my friends. Well, that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for joining in to the conversation and together all boats will rise and local flowers will be blooming fabulous in all of our communities. So if you are a fellow flower farmer that want to join in on the conversation, please reach out to us to get you scheduled for a podcast episode. And if you're just listening in and enjoy the podcast, please share with your friends, your family, and everybody you know. We really appreciate it. Thank you.